Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and it seems you have fallen way down the True Tunes rabbit hole. Maybe you've come to the podcast recently and are just working your way back to our first few shows, or who knows, maybe someone sent you a direct link to one of these early outings. All I can say is welcome, thanks for stopping by, Bruce and I are glad you're here, but have some mercy on us please. I'll be honest, when Bruce and I went back and listened to these early episodes, well, let's just say it clearly took us a handful of shows for us to get our feet under us. We knew what we wanted to do, but the way to get there took some tweaking. But the interviews are still valuable, and it's probably worthwhile to have these available as documents of our evolution, so we've trimmed them up a bit, tried to keep them timely, and inserted these little disclaimer introductions to each one. You might still hear a few dated references, some wonky edits, and some rough fades, so have some mercy on us as you dig these earliest episodes out of cold storage and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if somehow this is your first exposure to our show, please check out any of our more recent episodes for a more accurate representation. Okay, Bruce, roll it. The Lord is my happening. He's where it's all at. He never bugs me. He says, make it when the duds put me all down. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and this is part two of my conversation with philosopher, author, troublemaker, oh, and musician Michael Gunger here on the True Tunes podcast. I'm also going to crank up the True Tunes jukebox for a deep dive into the new album by Bob Dylan, Rough and Rowdy Ways. The New York Times calls it a death-haunted, cantankerous collection with a late-night sense of seclusion. The Atlantic says it reminds an anxious nation that all things are eventually doomed. Pitchfork calls it gorgeous and meticulous. In Variety, one of my favorite music writers, Chris Willman, says, and I quote, In one musical work, Dylan distills a vast and lifelong sense of exploration as someone who's discovering not just the links between Kennedy and his assassins, but between King James and Etta James, Beethoven and Warren Zevon, and finally, in the last line, his two favorite sources, Shakespeare and the Gospel, end quote. As usual, Willman nails it. Yes, we're going to have some fun with this record. And believe it or not, in some grand ways, I see this album as a perfect counterpart to both the conversation with Michael Gunger and to his shape-shifting, contemplative, ambitious Weiwu project. And as if that wasn't enough, as promised, on side B of the jukebox, we're going to go back to 1983 and Daniel Amos's epic Doppelganger LP, which seems particularly appropriate considering all this talk of duality and disconnection. Distance and direction Resistance and dissection Assistance and perfection Insistence and inspection Two of me, two of you, two of us, two by two The double life we live Distance and direction run straight ahead To our better world If you have not heard part one of this conversation, stop now and go back and listen to that first. We'll be here when you're ready. And this part of the conversation will mean much more if you've heard everything that led up to it. Okay, you've been instructed or warned or whatever. We rejoin this conversation already in progress. Michael was in his home studio in Los Angeles and I was in mine in East Nashville. We used the excuse of the release of his first post-Gunger album under the creative identity Weiwu to reconnect. But he and I have been friends for over a decade since we were both working with Capital CMG Publishing. So partly this is about us catching up too. I imagine many fans of Michael's music feel the same way. Okay, here we go. New sensations and sound. Back in the 60s, it was music and television that helped bring the civil rights struggle to the white community. It was Motown, you know, Motown records and soul music that that wasn't only listened to by black audiences. It turned out everybody liked Smokey Robinson. Everybody liked Marvin Gaye. Everybody liked Stevie Wonder. Not, maybe not everybody, but 
everybody had the potential to because radio didn't care who tuned it in. The, the TV didn't recognize that I was not the kind of person that was supposed to be watching Soul Train. Right? It, didn't, it didn't know. And before my generation, it was when people were forced to see those images of dogs and hoses and bridges that they couldn't tell themselves certain lies anymore. All those things kind of came together and a younger generation was was saying enough's enough. And then one chapter, the page turned. But unfortunately, I think that people tell themselves that it, more has been accomplished than really has. And we go, okay, we got that done. Now we can move on. But music was a big part of that. But in the church, with the exception of Andre Crouch, and again, you always get the kind of one exception that kind of proves the rule. Oh, we got Andre Crouch. We don't have a race problem. You know, it's yeah. like Andre was amazing. I mean, he's one of my favorite artists, but but that doesn't mean like, where's the rest of them? You know, where's, why is it still so segregated? And I think when you look at the mainstream, when you look at radio and you look at what everybody else is listening to, it's more integrated than it's ever been. So another generation of people saying, hey, we're going to, blur all those lines and we're gonna look we're not interested anymore in this highly segregated version of it we're gonna we're gonna have songs that draw the community together and that tell the truth and aspire i think that 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 will help move things forward if it but I, but it used to be that these gatekeepers kind of kept that in line and now with things like internet social media i don't know that those gatekeepers have the kind of death grip over that that they used to so it could be that this next generation will be able to do that and when i see artists like propaganda getting a platform without the support of major labels and radio and that kind of stuff that that gives me some hope i was always i usually like tried to be not just tried to be but i would see younger people and um and was more optimistic like yeah maybe this maybe this maybe white supremacy really will end with this generation and then most of my black friends would be like, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Bless his heart. Uh, but I am hearing more with all these protests and stuff. I have been hearing more like, wow, there's act- this is actually a chance for some real change to be happening now. So there, there might be some some good reason for some hope. But I, I think it is easy for uh, white people. And I say that like I'm not I'm I'm half Puerto Rican, but I can passes white um most of the time and so it's easy for white people to to like let her to to let down and be like oh good we got a black president cool everything's fine now now we don't have to do any more work <laughs> so you know uh and so like i don't want to do that with like the hope of the future being like, yeah cool maybe maybe something will happen someday and use that as sort of an excuse to be complacent but having enough hope to keep working, that's good. To have enough hope to be like, yeah, maybe this next generation can continue to fight um, the good fight for, you know, that for being anti-racist. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we could, we don't want to too easily just like pass that buck on to somebody else no, to do no. the work and to, you know. seems to me that music has the potential to soften some soil so that seeds can grow. So yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at with the reference to the civil mm-hmm. rights thing is that I don't know that, that Marvin Gaye or, or Smokey Robinson 
changed laws, but they softened the hearts and, and introduced young people to some ideas so that some seeds could take root. So that maybe when the, they had an opportunity to form a friendship with a person of color, they took that opportunity to hear a story. They, they took that opportunity to hear that story. I think that music can affect us emotionally and open us up so that new ideas can come in and we can actually open ourselves up to ideas. And that kind of gets back to this record. It feels to me that, that you're introducing ideas some ideas but not a lot of like didactic ideas it's more just here's a thought here's a word picture and some of them are very provocative obviously i mean especially to somebody who is coming from a more traditional christian perspective they're going to hear you mention vishna or or some mm -hmm. eastern religious word and if they know what you're talking about a hair trigger is going to go off and they're going <laughs> to yeah. you know oh that's right he's a heretic that's fine you know, <laughs> or they're going to freak out and um I, I see that model of music softening the soil so that seeds can be planted and then possibly take root. What would you say for young artists who are just, they don't have a platform, they don't have an audience yet, um, but they're, they're looking out at the landscape and they're saying, how in the world am I gonna, what, where am I gonna make a career? How am I gonna make this work? What kind of advice would you have for them if they are trying to synthesize their ideas, their mind, their heart, their passions, their faith, their spirituality, and their their skills and their music. Well, maybe I could answer in a way that would tie a little bit from the last answer, which is I think that the power of what a musician does in some way is it's, it's different than almost everything else in society everything else in society almost like you're selling a product you're taking you're doing medicine you're, there's always something else like we're trying to get to something else like i want to sell you this product so that you can when you buy that product be happier and this this part of your life will be fixed and then if that part of your life will be fixed then you'll be happy you know it's it's always like pushing off to some it's like some goal oriented out there in the future thing Music has nothing to do with that. Music is about this moment. Like, listen to it and enjoy it now. That's art, right? That's like, it calls you into this moment. So even when you're talking about somebody who wants to do this, it's so easy to put your musical career, your musical ideas on that same path as everything else, where it's like, okay, how can I make music that will accomplish something else? You know, that'll get me girls <laughs> well which is a, a perfectly you know admirable course <laughs> maybe not admirable but understandable um right right, right. related but you know like or it's going to get me famous it's going to get people to respect me it's going to whatever it's like something else but in that if we're always chasing something else i think we lose i think any musician that is amazing there's something about them if you they are in it for it like primarily it's not that you know they didn't also appreciate the perks of being a cool musician or whatever but a true artist somebody that loves their craft would do it regardless if there were any perks mm -hmm. because they just had it's about the thing it's about when i make this music i feel more alive So what I would tell any young artist is like, love what you do, love what you make. Like don't, don't put out something that you don't love. Spend plenty of time 
you're going to make most of the stuff you make, especially early on, you're not going to love. Great. Don't put it out. <laughs> but make it. Make it. Make make it. Absolutely make it. Maybe play it for your friends or whatever. You can put it out. It doesn't matter. Um, but you can always take it down now. It's not like when we were. <laughs> it's always sure, out there but, with me. <laughs> but um, doing it for the love, I think the more that you love it, the better chance you have of somebody else loving it anyway. Um, that's why That's why I did, when I say I, I don't know how to make somebody else embody this other than if I embody it, I assume other people will be able to. <laughs> somebody else will be able to. I'm not like a different species. Um, you know, if this sound makes me feel that in my belly like that, somebody, some other belly is probably going to feel that too. Um, if that word elicits that emotion for me, it's probably somebody else too. Um, so like feeling it yourself and loving what you're doing and working on the craft and for its own sake, that's one of the, just the beautiful things about music that makes it so unique and so powerful. Um, and I, I don't see it as just a, like, while I totally, I agree that it can soften the heart and open up for other ideas and larger things to be planted. To me, it's even more powerful than that. It's not just a, a pre preparatory thing for something else to happen. It is the thing. It is the experience of this mo It is the experience of your life in a richer way. Like when you, uh, there's a reason we put music to movies. There's a reason we put, we sing happy birthday and have music at weddings and funerals and everything important because we score these moments of our lives when we include music it like deepens our experience of it it yeah. makes it come alive in a different way music helps the moment that you're experiencing glimmer and shine with magic and glory and so that's the power of the musician is you get to like uh, you get to step out of that normal like rat race of how can we sell somebody something so that something else happens some other time it's like you actually get to invite people into their lives in a deeper way into their spirituality in a deeper way into their relationships into their events of their life in a, in a deeper way and so um, as you love it as you experience it yourself and you make the music that makes you come alive um the more the more effective I think you'll be for other people too. If not by the flesh, but by the spirit. This is an invitation of Kali into the game of death. The flesh is not the substance of your body. It is the believed refraction of how a body is seen and experienced. Experienced as separateness, as gross material, as matter. The word becomes flesh. To live in the flesh is to see the world as material, or even as a blend of material and spiritual. To live by the spirit is to see through these mirages and to simply be as you are. For you are not matter, nor are you spirit. What is plays at being both, as being seen as both. But neither is the final truth. To be invited into life in the spirit is the movement of consciousness. Consciousness evolves to the place where it notices even the noticing and all the suffering that it is inflicting on itself. I saved this question for last because I, I um, the title of this record and kind of the theme of it, Are You Perfect Yet?, to me was, was a funny kind of a psych because the common wisdom is, of course not. I'm never, nobody's perfect. <laughs> or, and I, I mean, like, we all suck. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the joke is actually <laughs> his answer is, yeah. And, <laughs> I was like, leave it to Mike to pull like one of the great, and that I saw the Twitter, you know, leave also nothing yeah. promotes a Michael Gunger or way we record like a flame war on Twitter. Uh, so, but in a nutshell, um, just kind of uh, tell me a little bit about this, uh, um, this concept of, uh, 
encouraging the listener in this moment of realization that they are that the answer to that question might not be what they thought it was yeah thank you um for the question i am proposing it so thoughtfully i i think we approach so much of our lives with that same thing that i was just talking about like i'm doing this so that you know when i'm in i'm in grade school i just cannot wait to get to high school i just that's when i'm gonna be finally great so i gotta make sure i'm doing good stuff now i gotta get my good grades i gotta learn all these fundamentals so in high school and then when i'm in high school i gotta make sure that for when i get into college that's when i'm gonna be happy and when i'm in college when i get that job when i get that job it's like oh when i get on when I finally get a better paying job finally get to go on vacation it's always something else and in spirituality it's like oh finally someday we'll get saved and redeemed or someday i'll be enlightened or like if, uh, keep moving towards some prize some goal and going back to music it's like that's not how music works there's not a prize you don't alan watts talks about like you don't uh the best musician is not the one who gets to the end of the song the fastest <laughs> right? <It's> not... <laughs> all the punk bands win right yeah. <laughs> um you're not there to try or and it's the same with dance he says like you don't a point, it's not to get from point A to point B. You don't dance to like, that's not the point to get from point A. It's like, you're not, you're trying to get to the si- other side of the room the fastest. You're not going to dance there. It's to actually experience the journey. Right. And so the idea of perfection, taking it outside of saying that, you know, I think a lot of times because we so much think point A to point B, we're going, we're not perfect yet because we're not yet at point B. I'm not yet loving enough. I'm not yet kind enough. I'm not yet thin enough. enough. Yeah. And when we think of our lives in terms, like in just those terms, it makes perfection such an absurd idea. Um, because yeah, what that the, nor- the normal answer, which in a way is, I, I still agree with. No, you're not, you're not perfect insofar as there's nothing else to do right that's like a static dead thing like if the idea of the okay now i've arrived i now i don't need to eat or exercise or say anything to anyone else ever again because i'm perfect now that's not what i'm saying i'm saying <laughs> good that the entire process of dancing across the floor the whole point of while we're in the middle of an embodiment record trying to be more embodied at every moment we're just here we're never, we never arrive somewhere else. We just are here the whole time. Right. And so in a way it's like clicking back um, to see that the whole dance is its own point, that it's, it's perfect the whole time. You're already, it's like saying in a dance, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, yeah. you're there already. Like yeah. you're in the perfection of your life now. Right. The beautiful goodness of life the grace, the love, the divinity is all exactly here. We're so often waiting for it after we die or someday out there if I just meditate long enough or read enough books. Or, and here is your life right here in its fullness. And in that way, it's all perfect because what, what else could you change? What could you change about this very moment? There's nothing to change. You can't, if you're sitting down, you cannot also be standing. Yeah. Um, so this particular moment there's nothing to change about it so why try and so that's the level of perfection it's it's more like a surrender to the process a surrender to seeing every step of the way from point a to point b life birth to death um is what it is (laughs) and it is uh inevitable in a way and it is perfect in a way Tell me if, if this is, because com- I have a way of finding 
meaning or put projecting. And so tell me if I'm doing that here in a way that is not appropriate. But I listened to your podcast on your show talking about that last night. As you talked through that, it occurred to me that God creates everything in the, in the creation story that, you know, however we take that. And he looks at everything and says, it's good. He looks at humans and says, they're very good. And all of our foibles, you know, knowing what's going to happen, whatever, he says, we're very good. And then Christ on the cross, this perfect picture of love, crucified, having said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the midst of what people across every religion and culture group and language would pretty much universally agree, there's no worse crime than murdering an innocent person. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of being murdered, the picture of love says, forgive them. And then says, it's finished. It's done. And it's like, I'm thinking of the garden and this story of saying it is good. It's very good. And then saying it's finished. And I'm thinking of, mm. of this, this theology that we've forgotten that, that Christ has overcome, that love has overcome, that goodness has overcome and that it is finished. And when you're saying this stuff that, that are you perfect yet? It's like, well, I mean, looking at this story this is one way of looking at this story and going man god if you believe in god and if you believe that this isn't an accident and there's some kind of hand behind this then that's one way of looking at that story is that he looks at you and says this is very good and love says it's finished and if that's and for some people who, who are so seeing everything through such a lens of self-loathing and fear and all of those things that they just can't cut through and then the the language sometimes of of uh, uh too much philosophy and stuff can be overwhelming but if you can cut through that and just the way i think that you kind of did um in that conversation is just to say just breathe and realize you're good like you're love you know and i i, I really appreciated that i thought that was really really beautiful thank you so um, again, I don't think you're as. If you're trying to be a heretic, you're you're. Uh, sometimes you you get you get pretty orthodox. Sometimes but. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a heretic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but that. I mean, in a way, I think I'm when I'm playing with the "Are you perfect yet? Are you perfect yet? Are you perfect yet?" In a way, it's it's pulling apart that idea of perfect. I think it is that pie in the sky static idea of what should be that keeps us suffering it's like and there's a difference between having like a, a vision of where we could go and moving towards that but when you pull apart what would it be what would perfect be <laughs> and you like really think about what would what would the perfect you look like is that is that really a static thing is that like mm -hmm you don't have to do work anymore that that's what perfect is you don't have to brush your teeth anymore like mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what per perfect would be I brushed them so good yeah. <laughs> uh it's just it's a silly concept but it's a concept that we tend to at least unconsciously believe in that i can finally get to this ideal self i can finally get to this ideal moment where i will finally be happy and and i will finally be good and to go, when I'm saying, when, if I say yes, it's kind of playfully to go like, it doesn't get more perfect than now because now is all there ever is. And that now is always gonna be changing in the next moment and demand something new of the next moment. I wanna thank Michael once again for taking so much time and for being so open and generous with us. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the True Tunes podcast. What's the matter with me? I don't have much to say. 
Daylight sneaking through the window And I'm still in this old night cafe Walking to and from beneath the moon Out to where the trucks are rolling slow To sit down on this bank of sand And watch the river flow Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways has just been released to overwhelmingly five-star reviews. I don't disagree. Most critics scroll back to at least 1997's Time Out of Mind or 2001's Love and Theft, both of which were part of Dylan's millennial resurgence, to find work this compelling and consistently good. And they may be right from an accessibility perspective. These 10 songs are each stunning in their own way. There's not a single outtake to be found. The band is flawless, and as many have noted, Dylan's voice sounds richer and more focused than it has in decades. It seems his last three albums covering music from the Great American Songbook of the previous century has helped him access an even more expressive vocal delivery style. I couldn't sleep a week last night Because we had that silly I thought my heart would break the whole night through I knew that you'd be sorry and I'm sorry too And yes, all of the accolades and enthusiasm are well earned but, and I mean this as sincerely as I possibly can say it there is so much more going on here than many critics seem to be catching Now, I'll admit I'm a bit of a super fan. I loved 2009's Together Through Life and still feel that his last studio album of original music, 2012's Tempest, was a stunning piece of folk art. But as a lifelong fan of Dylan and as a lifelong spelunker into caves of culture searching for glimmers of truth like Gollum looking for a ring, this album, after one day of repeated listening, is hitting my heart and gut the way Johnny Cash's American Recordings did the first night I heard it. I honestly think this will sit up there in Dylan's catalog alongside his best, which for me are titles such as Blood on the Tracks, Slow Train Coming, and Oh Mercy, as well as Time Out of Mine. Oh, and with all of the cultural references, obsession with death, and bleak humor referenced by most critics, this also might be the most God-haunted set he's offered us in 40 years. As the world seems to be collapsing around us, here comes Dylan with a collection of gracefully apocalyptic cabaret songs from the next world. Today and tomorrow And yesterday too The flowers are dying Like all things do Follow me close I'm going to Berlin Ali I'll lose my mind If you don't come with me I fuss with my hair And I fight blood feuds I contain multitudes Got a telltale heart Like Mr. Poe Got skeletons in the walls of people you know I'll drink to the truth And the things we said I'll drink to the man that shares your bed I paint landscapes And I paint nudes I contain multitudes The album opens quietly with one of the songs we've been listening to for a couple of months already. I Contain Multitudes, which borrows its primary theme from a poem by Walt Whitman, is another pastiche of references to poets, authors, and musicians, much like the 17-minute ballad Murder Most Foul that I talked about a few episodes back. I Contain Multitudes embraces, a la Whitman, the idea that Dylan, and maybe by extension all of us, are much more complicated than we might realize. Well, that seems to go right along with what Gunger was talking about, doesn't it? 
In fact, on a recent episode of his Liturgist podcast, Michael did an entire discussion about dissonance. He talked about Stravinsky composing a symphony that included some chords that forced audiences to hear notes they were not used to hearing alongside each other. They wanted that tension to resolve into something more pleasant, but Stravinsky wouldn't do it. He pushed the dissonance until it created more space for something new to happen. Dylan is doing that here with lyrical references like Anne Frank and Indiana Jones sitting right next to each other, forcing some cognitive or at least cultural dissonance on us. But the result is an expansion of meaning. By interjecting the Christian mystic William Blake, a poet I was introduced to via Daniel Amos and Terry Scott Taylor, by the way, Dylan frames this whole collage as something more like a spiritual constellation. There's a pattern here, and after repeated listens, I have found hints at what it might be. With a little patience, you'll likely discover these for yourself. Well, I'm the enemy of treason, an enemy of strife. I'm that enemy of the unlived meaningless life I ain't no false prophet I just know what I know I go where only the lonely can go I'm first among equals Second to none the last of the best You can bury the rest Bury them naked With that silver and gold Put up six feet under And I pray for their soul False Prophet, a blues romp that has also been featured on our Spotify mixtape, seems to lean a bit into the kind of vocal swagger and menace Dylan dialed in to great effect on Tempest. It's fun to wonder if the protagonist here is Dylan himself or another character, but as with every song on this set, it's got a fair amount of biblical imagery, anyone can do that, but also biblical understanding as it relates to human nature, pride, and power. And I ask myself, what would Julius Caesar do? I will bring someone to life, more ways than one. Don't matter how long it takes, it'll be done when it's done. I'm gonna make you play the piano like a Leon Russell, like Liberace, like St. John the Apostle. I'll play every number that I can play. I see you, baby, on Judgment Day. After midnight, if you still wanna beat, I beat the Black Horse Diamond on Armageddon Street. Two doors down, not fat far to walk. I'll hear your footsteps, you won't have to knock I'll bring someone to life, balance the scales I'm not gonna get involved in the insignificant details My own version of you is quickly becoming one of my favorites on the set. The music sounds like it could come from a tuxedo-wearing ensemble at an upscale lounge, maybe something you'd hear on a really nice date night. But Dylan, brilliantly, comedically, and gruesomely explores what it would be like if a guy like himself was given the powers of Victor Frankenstein for a day or two. The juxtaposition is wonderful, macabre, somehow romantic, and yes, spiritual. There's easily a Bible study in here if you want to find it. I'm sitting on my chairs Lost in the stars Listening to the sounds of the sad guitars Been thinking it all over And I thought it all through I've made up my mind to give myself to Track four, though, is one of those songs that just takes your breath away. I've Made Up My Mind to Give Myself to You is perhaps the most romantic Dylan song since To Make You Feel My Love, even though this Valentine may, in fact, have been written by the artist for his audience. Whoever the characters are, though, 
this clear-eyed song about the reality of love as a decision and not primarily a matter of affection is both rare and needed these days. I live on the streets Named after a saint Women in the churches Wear powder and paint Where the Jews and the Catholics And the Muslims are pray I can tell a product From a mile away Goodbye Jimmy Reed Jimmy Reed indeed Give me that old time religion It's just what I need For thine is the kingdom The power and the glory Go tell it on the mountain Go tell the real story Tell it in that straightforward Puritanical tone In the mystic hours Where the person's alone Goodbye Jimmy Reed Godspeed Thump on the Bible Proclaim a creed Another standout is the rollicking Goodbye Jimmy Reed. Reed, a blues artist who was an enormous influence on Elvis, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and obviously Dylan, is likely more of a stand-in here for someone or something else. But the blues shuffle is outstanding and the story so compelling that no one will care. And again, biblical images abound even if on this song they seem to be a bit on the sarcastic side. I'm searching for love for inspiration On that pirate radio station Coming out of Luxembourg And Budapest Radio signal Clear as can be I'm so deep in love That I can hardly see Down in the flatlands, way down in Key West. Key West is the place to be if you're looking for immortality. Stay on the road, follow the highway sign. Key West is fine and fair. If you lost your mind, you'll find it there. Key West is. On the horizon line. And Key West, Philosopher Pirate, closes out the first disc with a lilting shuffle and lyrics that romanticize the home of authors, poets, and artists who were done with winter. But, as sincerely as Dylan delivers the lyric, it's hard not to wonder if there's not a bit of a wink happening as well. Does he really buy into this kind of escapism and self-absorption? Or is this just an elegy for the place where artists go in the winter of their lives? Is it yet another way to talk about death, mortality, and what really matters in this life? It was a dark day in Dallas, November 63. The day that will live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a right line Good day to be living and a good day to die He led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb He said, wait a minute boys, you know who I am? Of course we do, we know who you are Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car Shot down like a dog in broad daylight Was a matter of timing and the timing was right You got unpaid debts We've come to collect We're gonna kill you with hatred Without any respect We'll mock you and shock you And we'll put it in your face We've already got someone here to take your place The day they blew out the brains of the king Thousands were watching, no one saw a thing It happened so quickly, so quick by surprise 
right there in front of everyone's eyes. Greatest magic trick ever under the sun. Perfectly executed, skillfully done. Wolfman, oh wolfman, oh wolfman, how? Rub a dub dub, it's a murder most foul. To hear Murder Most Foul after all of this is an entirely different experience than the way it was introduced three months ago. It's good that it has its own physical property to exist on. I'm looking forward to the vinyl coming out in July, personally, but as a capstone to this project, it is haunting and perfect. It's ironic, or maybe subversive, that this album is so well produced and performed that it could end up being used as classy background music at an upscale restaurant. The lyrics, however, are anything but easy listening, and are worthy of the analysis they will no doubt receive from recliner philosophers and classroom instructors. At 79 years old, Bob Dylan is showing us all how it's done. He is more than a tour guide through the pop culture of the last 50 years. He is composing songs that sound like dreams, maybe better dreams than most of us conjure on our own. It's hard to imagine another album being a better soundtrack to the bizarre, twisted, surreal thing that 2020 has become. I think we're looking at the album of the year here. Hey, Play Jelly Roll Morton, play Lucille Play Deep in a Dream and play Driving Wheel Play Moonlight Sonata in F sharp And the key to the highway by the king of the heart Play Marching through Georgia in Dunbarton Play darkness and death will come when it comes Play love me or leave me by the great bird town Play the bloodstained banner, play murder most foul By the way, I've created a special Spotify playlist that includes all of the songs Dylan name checks in both Murder Most Foul and I Contain Multitudes, and I will be adding more now from the other songs on the album. The list is already around 100 songs, and it's pretty amazing to hear. You can find a link to it on the show notes page for this episode at truetunes.com if and when you're ready to jump down in the cave with me. Here I am, here I am, driving to the studio with all of our equipment. Here I am, here I am, singing in the microphone while the tape is rolling. Smiling at the camera There you are, there you are Getting out your money, purchasing the record Here we are, here we are By way of stereo, making minimal contact Is this a substitute? Is this me? Well, I can't see you and I'm out of your reach When it comes to side B of the jukebox, I try to find a classic, something from the past that younger listeners should discover and the rest of us should remember. And as Michael Gunger and I talked about the disconnect between our heads and our bodies, this dichotomy, I kept thinking about one of the first faith-oriented bands that really helped me reconnect those synapses. Daniel Amos and this 1983 album that was all about the cost of duplicity and disconnection, both internally and writ large. If you were walking down the street and you looked across the street and you saw your exact image, another person looked exactly like you, sort of like twins, and only you, you know you don't have a twin, a twin uh, that would be your doppelganger or double. Now, for you newcomers, it's important to note that Daniel Amos is a band, not a dude, and they took their name from the two Old Testament prophets. They started in the early 70s as a cosmic country outfit, and by the end of that decade had evolved into a flat-out new wave rock band, with a serious appreciation for the Beatles, Elvis Costello, and surf rock. I took you to the movies. You take me in the shower. Out on location shooting. Nobody's got it now. That's my cinema girl. Ooh, the technical guy does 
Doppelganger was the second installment in their four-part Alarma Chronicles series, each album of which is True Tunes Hall of Fame destined, and each definitely can stand on its own. Doppelganger belonged in the mainstream alternative world much more than the Christian rock world in which it languished. It was edgy, incredibly well-produced, funny, and way ahead of its time. It opened with Hollow Men, a song based on a T.S. Eliot poem that used a backward track from the final cut off the previous album, Alarma, as its musical bed. As a kid, that was enough to hook me right off the bat. The idea of a body double, or a clone, which had interestingly been used in a very different way that same year by a different tailor, could be both humorous and disturbing. Like the characters in The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the hollow men of Doppelganger, these imposters, took on a certain form but lacked the substance they were supposed to have. Daniel Amos saw these hollow men as representative of the church, and like the prophets of old, they found her wanting. Some of the songs looked satirically at the effects of this hollowness on things like materialism and dented theology. It didn't take much effort to suss out the targets of songs like New Car or I Didn't Build This For Me. But you may have had to do a little research, like I did, to make the connection between Youth With A Machine and a certain parachurch organization. Other songs were more intimate and personal. Angels Tuck You In, for instance, explores the ramifications of flawed theology, or how we imagine God, and how we actually live our lives. You hold an image, it provides a common thread. No sense of menace, no feeling of dread. You never worry your pretty little head. And angels tuck you in tonight. Angels tuck you in tonight. Angels tuck you in and greet you in the morning light This cartoon world you've created It's like Disneyland Get out your golden tickets The one they give you when you're born again A guardian personage is watching over you Nothing uncomfortable can never get through There is no suffering for the chosen few I absolutely loved Autographs for the Sick. This cut, which felt like a Monty Python bit, was another look at how absurd things get when we become disconnected from ourselves and what we really need. I imagine Gunger would love this song. Autographs for the sick, they want to touch you. Monogram kits she wants to buy too. She's warning all her children of the horrors of Rodrigo. You're a bonfire, now we're counting dollars. 
Who Are the Real Girls was one of my favorites, though I have to admit that as a teen, the depth of its meaning did not fully penetrate my adolescent brain. Lines like, this casting couch of moral rejection. What the heck is a casting couch? Men muscle-bound without affection, those who exercise subtle seduction, left me scratching my teenage locks. Over a decade later, when I heard the term casting couch used on a sitcom, I remembered this lyric and went back to the liner notes. Suddenly, the entire meaning of the song changed. The reason, as the lyric says, God escaped their imagination, is at least in part because of how men in power had treated women. Again, disconnection. Double, the de facto title track, is a scorching new wave rocker that breaks it down for us with some German counting in the background just to make us extra nervous. hits me so much harder now as an adult, and with decades of stories of abuse and injustice in my ears, is the oddly old-fashioned sounding Do Big Boys Cry. Long before the Me Too movement, Terry Taylor was contemplating the difference between crocodile tears shed by performers, like the televangelists that were still ubiquitous in 1983, and the tears of real repentance. Do big boys cry? much more, because every song on Doppelganger is a classic. In a perfect world, the band would have spent 1983 and 84 touring with Costello, The Clash, and television, and MTV would have been clamoring for videos. Alas, this was music that was much too truthy, and too musically adventurous for the confines of Christian music. Those of us in the underground obsessed over it, and still do, I keep at least one extra sealed copy on vinyl, just in case. Fortunately for you newcomers, a two-disc deluxe remastered CD version is still available at danielamos.com. You can also get a digital version at danielamosboots.bandcamp.com, along with a 1983 doppelganger radio special produced by our own Bruce A. Brown. What do I do? I'm a big boy, too. I feel the Holy Spirit inside. See the light that freedom gives. I believe it's in the reach of Every man who lives Keep as far away as possible It's darkest for the dawn Oh, Lord 
I turned the key and broke it off And I crossed the Rubicon As I climb up on my soapbox this time, it's definitely with some significant fear and trembling. I realize that talking with a person like Michael Gunger about a project like Wei Wu's Are You Perfect Yet is a great way to alienate some folks, excite others, and maybe draw unnecessary lines and spark controversy. But the more I think about the calling of this show, to listen to better music and to listen to music better, I'm convinced that opportunities like these are pretty few and far between. While Michael may have arrived at some different conclusions about some details, and maybe some of his imagery causes me to squirm a little, I think that's one of the great and high purposes of art. Art is not primarily about making us comfortable anyway. That's what decoration is for. Like the composer Stephen Sondheim said, art is about bringing order to chaos. Or as an old newspaper man once said about his craft, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And inasmuch as Michael is on that journey, and I know that he is, we are rowing in the same direction. When he brings up an image like Kundalini Rising, a Hindu reference to the divine feminine energy, it strikes me, challenges me, provokes me to try to discern his meaning and decide if I agree or not. But when I am confronted with the injustices and abuses of toxic masculinity and patriarchy, am I as triggered? No, but I should be. So, how much of this is really theological, and how much of it is cultural? These are the kinds of deeper questions that art can provoke if we let it. In the middle of one of the most mystical and poetic passages in the entire New Testament, the Gospel of John says that the Word, or Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John goes on to say, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you might come from a tradition that likes to parse that out and explain it in completely logical, even legal terms. That's fine. But to me, that reads like art. The Word of God. The same Word that came from God when he said all those let there be's at the very beginning and brought them to pass. That same mystical, magical, fantastic Word became muscle, bone, blood, and hair. It took on a physical body. It seems to me that many of the profound challenges we are facing right now can be traced, at least in part, to the disembodiment of our spirituality, our faith, our understanding of our identity as creatures made in the image of God, from the physical bodies that God made and called very good. These are the same physical bodies that Jesus honored, fed, touched, healed, and raised from the dead. We use these bodies to make music, to listen to music, to dance, and yes, to love our neighbors. And yet so many of us think that the essence of who we are is primarily about what we hold in our brains, our knowledge, our belief system. It's no wonder we end up hating our bodies. I know I have. I often still do. This stuff is hard for me. And how perfect that we are also given this gift of a new album by Bob Dylan right now. So much ink and so many pixels have been spent trying to analyze whether Dylan is still a Christian or not, as if the wisdom, beauty, and truth in his music would be more appropriate for us to listen to if we could just know for sure that his head was in the same place as ours. And where are our heads anyway? It sure doesn't seem that merely being a Christian is any kind of guarantee that we'll be right about much. (laughs) the disciples weren't. In fact, about the only thing I can be confident of as an aspiring disciple myself is that if I join in this journey, there will be trouble. But the good news is that love has overcome the world, even when it doesn't look that way. And trouble leads to community and great music. So abdicating our job as discerners is off the table, which means we have to constantly process conversations, books, art, films, the currency of ideas, and find the truth, whether it is beautiful or ugly, whether it's hiding or, more often, staring us right in the face. This Weiwu album is as fascinating, musically adventurous, lyrically challenging, and spiritually open as its creator. And Michael, like I said at the beginning of part one, is some kind of genius. I don't have to be right there with him on every bit of his Eastern philosophy to see that he is tapping into some important ideas and his push that we are actually perfect if we understand what that means is still blowing my mind a little bit. Okay, I'm climbing off my soapbox now before I fall. 
that is going to do it for this epic two-part episode of the True Tunes podcast. I also want to extend a huge thanks to Michael Gunger for giving us so much time and great music, and my co-conspirator and brother Bruce A. Brown for crafting this conversation together in the producer's booth with so much love and care. His attention with the song clips and samples is just really exceptional, more than I deserve, and absolutely could not be doing this show at this level without him. I just realized that we just wrapped up our first year doing this show together and wanted to send this special thanks to him. You can find links to all of the music on the show notes page for this episode at truetunes.com. And as always, the contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at truetunesmusic at gmail.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee 37206. Until next time, this is JJT saying stay tuned and stay true. Did it do it?